baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. I've totally, he did call me Mr. Announcer. I did. So, you know what? All kind good. of him. Very yeah. kind of him. Uh, we appreciate that. Let's start where uh, Vanita and I left off there about this. This lack of a cooling off period now. And I say cooling off period whenever you have a big news story now. Typically a tragic one. There was a time where. A, politics, B, a fault was, and it wasn't a determinate amount of time. But nowadays, we just got to point blame, got to point out the politics. You have to do that immediately. And many people feel it's their duty to do so. And that part of society now really bugs me. There was a time where if something like this would happen, where you'd have two police officers and a firefighter shot and killed, uh, there would be a time, I don't know, two, three days a week, where that the sole focus would be on those three individuals who lost their lives, the departments they worked for, and their family members they left behind. And any sort of blame or fault, uh, any sort of uh, search of how did this happen, that would come later. But now, and I don't know, is we always like to say, well, it's because of social media. Oh, maybe that, maybe it is because of social media, because everybody has a voice, an immediate voice now, that we must lay blame, uh, f- fault uh, policies, fault failures, fault the country and our systems. It has to be immediate. And what it does in my personal opinion, is it takes away from what I just discussed, the people who gave the ultimate sacrifice, those three young men who died early Sunday morning. Like with the caller that we just played, bringing up politics immediately, talking about Derek Chauvin or the, you know, the, the, the war on police, the war on cops, all worthy discussions But is it worthy to do 24, 48 hours later? Maybe you, but here's the thing about it too, though, is because we're all hypocrites in that. Because you know what? If it's something that we feel strongly about, you're damn right we're talking about it right away. Here's a perfect example of it. Mass shootings. Because one side always says, you know, it's too soon right now to talk about gun control. And the other argument is, that's the problem here and we keep having the issue it's never too soon to talk about gun control so it depends what your view is your politics are your your opinion on a matter because i think then it's never too soon to talk about something six five one four six one nine two two six are you bugged like me that it's just it, it immediately comes to well we got to point fingers we have to find uh, the boogeyman here we have to examine the policies it's it's 
we have to point to the politicians in power that somehow let this happen? Because it, to me, that does a disservice to those three men who died. Yesterday, when people were accusing us of somehow hiding the name of this individual who did, I'm, I'm not going to mention his name, but I'm going to mention the fact that, you know what, he wasn't supposed to have a gun. He tried to get guns back legally, and Dakota County said no in 2020, but he still got a gun. And that's a problem. And that's a problem. There are way too many guns, and it's way too easy to get guns. Uh, people who shouldn't have guns, it's too easy for them to get guns. That's a problem, and that is something we can talk about today. And we will continue to talk about because we hear it from Second Amendment supporters all the time that you pass laws to restrict uh, gun use or gun ownership and quote-unquote law-abiding citizens, responsible gun owners, you're only hurting them because criminals don't obviously follow the laws. And you know what? They're right because it sure is too easy to get guns. Now, what's the solution there? I have no idea. But but so am I being a hypocrite of what I just argued, Dave, saying that is it too soon to talk about that? Is it is it But I mean, where do we go from here? I mean, that's I it, think it, yeah. It is too soon, but if we wait till next week and then try to bring up guns, um the collective attention span of society will have moved on to mm-hmm. the next news article, the next issue, the next thing that's making headlines, and we will have forgotten about this. Yeah. That's the. I, I'm not saying that's good. Like that's embarrassing, maybe as a society yeah. that that's how we are. But that's how it goes. So if you want to have traction, if your goal is to change something with whether it's mental health or the gun violence issue or domestic violence or whatever the issue you'd like to use this story to push, Mm -hmm. uh, you need to jump on it now. But is that at a disservice to the victims and the families? Here's a text, which points out to the hypocrisy that I just mentioned. Pretty sure absolutely there was no cooling down period uh, during the George Floyd incident, the George Floyd murder. I'll I'll change that. And that includes your radio station. That's 100% right. Yes, sure is. But you know why? The difference there is, is because that was filmed. There was ample video, and that was that pointed to a problem in society where you know, things weren't taped, and we would have to rely on a narrative from a police department or a law enforcement agency. And in that moment, there's a whole part of society that said, see, this is why we don't trust law enforcement. Because they told us that this was a medical incident when we have video of what happened. And that, there was no holding that back. And there was, that was a very natural reaction. But you're the texter, you are 100% right. But, which points, I think, my view of we should just, you know, take a deep breath before we get into the uh, politics and the issues. I'm probably in the minority now. When people are saying, no, baloney, we absolutely should address the elephants in the room. We absolutely should point to the failures of this system and talk about it right away. Because that is doing a service to those who have perished. 
But again, it's just what side of a particular issue do you fall on? Uh, we've got a phone call here. Uh, I got the wrong sheet up. Uh, sorry. Who do you got, Dave? Say sorry. hi to Lawrence. Hi, Lawrence. Th- thanks. Thanks for calling, Hello. Lawrence. Hi, Lawrence. Hey, uh, great topic. I truly share your frustration. And I'll share two quick comments because I first noticed this when uh, Representative Gifford down in uh, Arizona when she yep. was attacked. Yep. Right. Immediately, because I remember kind of where I was, immediately people jumped into their left-right extremism. If people followed that story, the guy that did the shooting had absolutely no political leanings whatsoever. He was just mentally unstable. But it didn't prevent people and the media from just going to that camp. That's when I really first started to notice it. But moving on to a similar topic, one of the best programs I ever watched was by Ted Koppel in his latter years. He did a program on Nightline called Deadly Business that focused on the global gun trade. Mm Mm-hmm. And the takeaway, and I actually have the transcript. I was so fascinated with it. The takeaway is if you think about an iceberg where you have 20% above water, 80% below water, his program basically pointed to the fact that 20% of these guns that are out there are are legal and 80% are illegal. Yeah. And I always think about that because when you talk about solutions, it's not easy but let's not attack. Let's not attack the legal citizens of this country mm-hmm. for what their rights are. I appreciate you bringing up this topic, and thank you for the opportunity, Lawrence. Thank you for the phone call. We appreciate that. That's frightening to think about that twenty percent legal uh, owned guns, and then another eighty percent that are illegally owned. And that's it here. So, and again, we'll be talking about this for days, if not weeks, to come about. Of the real problem of illegal guns in this country. And how do we stop that? How do we stop straw buyers? How do we stop black markets for guns? And I think it boils down to laws, strict enforcement of laws. If you legally own a gun and you sell it illegally or you give it to someone or you, uh, you become a straw buyer for someone, you should face significant penalties. And by mean... And when I say significant, I mean just as harsh as the person who uses that gun to commit that crime. You should face the same crimes. There's no other solution to it. You have to make it significant crime and a significant punishment if you facilitate in a gun getting into the hands of somebody who shouldn't have it. And then, God forbid, using it to commit a horrible crime like happened in Burnsville Sunday. 651-461-9226. It's 919. So in this rush nowadays to uh, blame and point fingers, I propose that that really takes away from at least in the first, I don't know, and that's it. I mean, what's the timeline? Who establishes that timeline that, okay, now we can talk politics about this, or okay, now we can talk about rid of the problem. I mean, if you can do it four days later, can you not do it right away? And I guess that's the argument. That's what I'm saying. It's like, okay, what, I mean, I feel that way that I feel like that, boy, that sure seems insensitive, but again, I'm, I might be in the minority here now where it's like, no, it's, you can talk about it a week from now. You can talk about it the day after it happened. 
I know if you're a consumer and you're looking at 10 news stories and nine of them say, you know, thoughts and prayers are with the fallen officers. And one says gun control necessary to stop future future occurrences. A lot of us are clicking on that one instead of the other ones that are, um, you know, a memorial to. And again, that might be a poor reflection on us as a society, but that's the reality. Um. I think we can do both. This is from a texter, 651-461-9226, and this texter's probably right. I think we can do both things at the same time, mourning the loss of the tragedy and also looking at what contributed to it and finding a solution to it. That, I agree 100% with that text. The problem is that last part, we failed to do that time and time again, which is find a solution. And I'm not saying it's an easy one. It's not an easy fix. It's not an easy solution. But that finding a solution gets lost in screaming at each other and blaming each other for why it's happening when instead of, okay, let's find some common ground here on things that we know will work or at least should work that we both can agree to that will not necessarily stop 100% of these incidents from happening but at least might help. If it stops one, is that a good thing? I'd argue it is. That's why I get a little frustrated when people say, and you hear this from people, uh, Second Amendment supporters, that, well, you know, those laws don't work. Therefore, why have the laws in the first place? Well, that's like saying, well, you know, if if two or three people don't drive with a seatbelt, what good are seatbelt laws? Um, I, I don't think that's a fair argument. Uh Years ago, the NRA supported an automatic 10-year prison sentence for using a gun to commit a crime. I'd have to look at that. I don't know the validity of that. And I assume they mean, like, if even if you're not the person who used the gun in a crime, if you somehow contributed to the person who has it, getting it. Uh, Jennifer is in Stillwater. Uh, she called in on the WCCO talk line. Go ahead, Jennifer. Hi, Adam. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, in 2021, Jerome Hart- Horton... Um, is the one who was the straw buyer for the 33 guns from Fleet Farm mm-hmm. um, after he passed the background check. So, you know, to me, they had to sell him the guns if he passed the background check. Yep. But um, Keith Ellison um, sued Fleet Farm. And anyway, so Jerome Horton, um, that was the truck park shooting where Marquisha okay, Wiley sure. was, was yep. killed and, four, yeah, and 14 people were shot. So anyway, I'm looking at the KSTP story, and uh, Jerome Horton got um, two years in prison for um, being a straw buyer. But in Minnesota, the state law, you know, you only do 50% of whatever you were sentenced to. So that means Jerome Horton's only going to do one year in prison for mm-hmm. straw buying 33 guns yeah. from Fleet Farm that shot 14 people at the truck park in St. Paul and Marquisha Wiley was killed. And Ellison is suing Fleet Farm. Yeah. And that's a failure. That, Jennifer, thank you. Uh, thanks for the call. I'd have to look into the specifics of that. I don't, I'm not saying that uh, you're making that up by any stretch of the imagination. I would just, but yeah, if what you were just saying about that story is true, that's an absolute failure. And I would say that to Keith Ellison. Like, if you're going after Fleet Farm, if he passed the background checks and was able to buy those guns, uh, that's not Fleet Farm's problem. That's this individual's problem who bought these guns legally and then either allowed them to be used by someone to do damage. And, yeah, one year in prison, not nearly enough for that kind of crime. And that's what we're talking about here. 
we have to have significant penalties for people who legally buy a gun and then allow that gun either not either sell it to someone uh, illegally or allow it to be used in a crime. That's a significant problem. Text coming in here, 651-461-9226. Beyond the gun issue, I think we need to examine the shooter and what went wrong with him. That, and again, that's... That, that, that's an issue, too, where it's like, do you really, can you really identify a, what it is in a makeup of a person that would allow them to do that? I mean, if, I, I hope that kind of research is being done. If you can find a commonality to people uh, who commit crimes like these. But at the same time, I, and yeah, that, Preventing, you know, this is all reactionary stuff like, oh, what could we have done? Well, we need to figure out what we could have done and whether that is uh, stopping. Uh, obviously, a big part of it is preventing somebody like that from getting a gun, but also it's to determine what causes someone like that to be someone like that. And that's all part of the problem, too. Uh, so the laws are not up to date on these straw buyers. That is the legislative issue, just as the individual getting access to guns with this history. Uh, that 80% number is way off, somebody is saying. Um, well, we, we need to look at the issue and uh, whether or not if that's something, if that's an issue that's getting caught up with um, lobbyists and the gun lobby preventing that from happening. Uh, I, I, I would, if, I, if I were part of the gun lobby or part of the Second Amendment crew, I would, say, I would want every possible law to prevent straw buyers, to ensure that the guns are going to people who pass background checks, who are of right state of mind to be a gun owner, and I wouldn't try to stand in the way of that. And that's I think that's one of those issues where we just get lost and it gets bogged down, and it's so extreme. It's got to be so um, a zero-sum game where it's like, nope, I want everything I want, and we have to hold firm on all these, and we're not willing to compromise. And both sides, I think, continue to do that. Uh, we'll ask Tori Van Oot about what uh, impact this issue, this uh, tragic event in Burnsville has had, on uh, whether that's going to uh, shape anything with the session starting now and the session underway, whether there will be legislation somehow to address any kind of the problems we just talked about. She joins us up next Tuesdays with Tori. Uh, we'll uh, talk to Tori Van from Axios next on CCL. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Yeah, I was reminded today that uh, we were going to um, periodically check back in with Tori Van Oot, but uh, since the uh, tragedy that happened in Burnsville, we thought we'd check in with her today just to see 
uh, how the legislature uh, is consuming this news and whether or not it'll uh, change any uh, or create any new bills or direction for some public safety measures. So Tori Van Oot uh, from Axios joins us on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. Tori, thank you very much. That is the first answer, I guess. How is this news, how has it impacted uh, lawmakers at the Capitol? And is there any signs right now that uh, there could be some any kind of legislation resulting from this? I don't know what that would be, but uh, well, how is this uh, being impacted there in St. Paul? Yeah, I mean, the immediate reaction yesterday was really what we've seen across the metro and state, which was just kind of shock, shock and grief. Um, there were moments of silence in both chambers yesterday, uh, particularly heard from some of the members from uh, Burnsville who represent the Burnsville area. And, you know, there's a number of state legislators who have backgrounds in law enforcement or first responders or who are married to a firefighter, paramedic or first responder. And so really some heartfelt, you know, from the heart responses there. There is one representative who was a member of the Burnsville Police Department for Mm -hmm. for years as well. So it really, you know, underscored how tragedies like this hit communities and hit, you know, home to so many, so many people. Um, You know, as for political impacts, uh, the first, you know, impact was there was a slight delay on um, or a practical matter on the school resource officer bill we've talked about. I think, according to Senate Democrats, there was supposed to be a hearing um, and law enforcement requested for obvious reasons, you know, a delay in that. So I don't know that this tragedy really impacts that legislation technically specifically um but it'll certainly bring to the forefront issues around uh supporting law enforcement you know that sort of thing and the other thing we're kind of watching is there was a plan for a bill kind of ruminating before the session to address um mandatory minimums for um banning people with felony convictions from having a firearm Mm -hmm. And one, a DFL lawmaker wanted to roll those back and kind of put it in judges and prosecutors' hands to decide if and when, you know, after a conviction to restore someone's gun rights. Um, this would seem to make that legislation, which probably already faced long odds, have an even more complicated path. Because we know in this case that this was some the alleged shooter uh who killed himself as part, you know, in, in, in the standoff as yep. well, uh, was not permitted to have firearms Correct. Uh, due to a felony conviction and had actually, had actually petitioned a judge to get them back mm-hmm. and had been rejected. And so, you know, that's just another example of where policy may intersect in and of an issue like this, bring some of those debates back to the forefront. Yeah, I want, and, and even like the the school resource officer uh, issue yeah. too. I, I you you wonder because clearly, as rightly so, uh, and sadly, uh, when something like this happens, we do rally around our first responders and our police officers, and you wonder if that maybe would change some minds and at least how they view having you know that issue of which again, there's still a lot of people that have problems with it, but having police officers mm-hmm. on site and the and their ability to keep the peace in those schools it'll be interesting to see if that changes any minds uh, in the in the short term yeah there I mean two different uh, school resource officers and this are two different issues, but I think you're right that I yeah. think it will uh, increase 
you know, not in this immediate aftermath where things are very raw and rightly so focused on the family, the victims and their families. But I think you will see increased political pressure uh, to come up with a solution uh, that is perceived as supportive of the law enforcement of the schools. Now, you still will have critics of that school resource officer bill who don't who worry that it's going to be watered down as part mm-hmm. of this process and are very concerned about that. But um, the political dynamics certainly will uh, shift. And you see the same thing, any type of gun violence, right? You kind of yeah. often see in the wake of mass shootings, things like that, more political momentum for uh, addressing an issue, um, how that ultimately shakes out, you know, we'll see. And, and the school resource officer is something that is more likely than not going to require bipartisan support. And so, um, you know, it may uh, it just increase pressure to, to get something done on that front. Other issues uh, happening at the Capitol. I see that uh, milk, now free milk may be part of the, uh, the free uh, lunch program. Yeah, yeah. So as we know, we've talked about a lot, the universal uh, free meals, uh, all kids, regardless of their family's income in Minnesota, can now have breakfast or lunch without paying. It's been a popular program in the polls and in terms of participation. Uh, And now some Democrats want to update it to make sure that you can have just milk. So if you bring your PB&J from home or whatever you like to pack from home, you can get a carton of milk free of charge. Uh, What we're hearing from the sponsors of this proposal uh, is that the way the law was written because of the kind of complexity of reimbursements in school meals, in order for a meal to count for a school to get it reimbursed, the kid has to take it all. (laughs) You got to take the pizza, you got to take the apple, you got to take the milk. And so what was happening, the author of this bill says, uh, is that kids are showing up with their sandwich or whatever they brought from home, wanting a milk, and so they're taking a whole meal and throwing it out uh, just to get the milk. Uh, This is what some school districts are reporting. Not all school districts are reporting this, but some are reporting it. We don't know quite how widespread it is, but the author of this says, you know, this is an effort to just clear up confusion Make sure kids have access to the, this nutritious drink under this proposal and cut down on food waste. Um, the catch, Adam, as we've also talked about, this program has already been a lot more expensive <laughs> than yes. uh, we thought. You know, it's like $80 million more than expected in the first two years because of more kids than they anticipated were taking advantage of the free lunch and um, food costs more, right? <laughs> food yeah. costs going up. And so what we don't know yet is the price tag. And so that's going to be something we'll be watching is how much more do they think it'll cost um, to add the milk for free, just milk for free. You know, uh, and again, obviously you're, you're reporting on it. I can have the opinion on this, but it's, it seems yeah. to me ridiculous that, first of all, that the price tag wasn't specifically known before this happened. And, and I get it. Food prices change. But to not have an idea of like how many kids are going to be using it. And then now, okay, well, if you take a milk, you got to take the whole meal. I mean, it just seems a little ridiculous. And, it, and on a topic that really shouldn't have been that controversial, you know, feeding kids. Hey, that's a good, it's a good concept. But it just seems to me like it is a lot of different topics. When government get involved, gets involved, they screw it up. 
It's definitely complicated. I mean, that's <laughs> the reimbursement for it. Lots of these rules. And it's actually a federal ruler guideline that, right. like, guided that. Um, so, yes. And, you know, what we heard from Republicans last week was, look, this sounds like a great idea, but how much is it going to cost? And, of course, all of those elements that you pointed to are going to make it even harder to figure out how right. much it costs. Because, well, are you going to have be serving fewer meals and spend less on meals if a lot of kids just want the milk. Um, And yeah, I mean, they did come up with the estimates based on participation, like during the pandemic when the federal government foot the bill for everyone's lunch. But again, it's been higher than they expected. And some critics of the program as run or as implemented have raised the question you did, which is why didn't we just budget this based on, you know, a hundred percent of kids yeah. participating yeah. just to be sure. And, and as we talked about, you know, $80 million, you may sound like, Oh, that's a sneeze. That's pocket change in the context of a $72 billion budget. Well, lawmakers don't have very much wiggle room this right. year because of the state of the surplus. And we'll get an update on that next week, yep. but you know, there's really uh, not a lot of money to play with here uh, in terms of adding costs. So, We'll see, but this was a very politically popular program for Democrats. So, especially in an election year for the House, uh, I think you may see them wanted uh, tout expanding it even more. You know, the polling shows that a lot of parents, a lot of people are happy with it. Um, You know, they get the free lunch. Nothing's really free. Taxpayers are paying for it. But but we'll see. And my question was, who are all these kids who want the milk? Like, is this chocolate milk? (laughs) But... I don't know. Nobody had that answer for me. <laughs> well, no, when I was in, I had the lunch. I had lunch tickets, and we had milk tickets too, where you'd have your oh, milk yeah. ticket. And yes, I would always go for the chocolate milk, of course. But yeah, but maybe your listeners will know. Can text in if they're hearing about. You know, we're just hearing secondhand from lawmakers and school district, um, you know, association, nutrition association lobbyists that kids are throwing out the meals. But maybe your maybe your listeners know whether that's happening yeah so. by all means six five one four six one nine two two six so uh, lastly before we let you go i see uh you highlighted uh this uh, documentary about uh, josie johnson and anybody it is black history month still and josie johnson is a name very familiar uh to uh black activists and, and civil rights and there's a new documentary that highlights uh her and her efforts in this state there is from twitty's uh pbs and it just aired uh last Monday night, so last night, and it's available on the app. And it's a really interesting story. It looks at all, you know, Josie Johnson was a a, a freedom fighter, participated in the civil rights mu- movement, uh, pushed for fair housing and anti-discrimination laws here in Minnesota, and also really made a mark at the U of M. Um, she was the first black regent mm-hmm. and, and did a lot in terms of, um, you know, promoting diversity and equity at, at the University of Minnesota, and she's still with us. She's in her 90s. 93, uh, yep. And, yeah, and there's an interview from just last year in the documentary with her as she was being honored. And so uh, it's really a valuable story. And, and the producer of it said, you know, I really hope that this inspires a new generation of young people and activists to kind of fight for, continue fighting for civil rights issues. And, and her path of, you know, doing kind of protests direct action, and also working in the halls of the legislature and the University of Minnesota, that kind of dual path he, he kind of pointed to. So, so check it out.
Thanks, Tori. Appreciate it. Have a great right. week. Thanks, Adam. Yep. Have a good week. Bye-bye. Tori Van Oot from Axios. You can read her stuff uh, in, in, in Axios. 948 News Talk 830 WCCO. I didn't expect to, you know, get into the school lunch program debate, but, you know, it's now we're giving away milk. And, Dave, you were just shaking your head when we were talking about that. You you hate kids getting uh, free meals. <laughs> uh no, I, uh, I, and you hate our dairy farmers. You think kids should not have milk. What I don't appreciate is that my daughter, who's in kindergarten, yeah. is given the opportunity for two meals a day at yeah. school, even though she doesn't get to school until after nine. So she eats a breakfast at home right. and then has an opportunity to have uh, another meal just after nine and then our, her third meal of the day at like. Ten fifty because yeah, she's right. early lunch. Yeah, and both of those meals come with the option of milk, and both of those come with the option of chocolate milk. Yep. So my daughter could say yes to chocolate milk at school ten times a week, and oh, it's delicious too. As a parent who's trying to be like somewhat healthy in yeah. some regard, I mean, we don't go crazy, but like ten chocolate milks a week is too much. So we have to oh, have no, that conversation no, no, no. with our kindergarten. See, chocolate milk, I've heard that chocolate milk when you boil it down is like the best sports <laughs> drink you can have. Seriously. It's like it, it's got all the good protein and just the rem- is that the American Dairy Association cutting you a check <laughs> right next right. to you as a guy writing you money, That's a lobbyist. Big chocolate yeah. milk telling me. But it is ridiculous, and again... It's too much. I mean, yeah, I, it is too milk much. is fine, but that's too much. I am all for, I, I, I think, you know, a free meal at school for kids, I'm sorry, I, I'm okay with that. God forbid, like we... we feed, and yes, I know some kids are coming from homes, and as a texter points out, are getting dropped off at school in a $100,000 SUV, and coming from a you know a million-dollar home or a $750,000 home, and probably don't need the help. But you know what? I guess you could argue those students could buy their own textbooks, too. But yet we give our students textbooks when they're in elementary school. We don't make our kids buy textbooks. So I think having a lunch at school, I'm totally fine with that. Yes. Uh, but you're right. It's If you can't figure out how to do it right and suddenly, well, wait a minute. If these kids are bringing their own lunch and they just want to milk, we've got to give them the whole... We've got to give them the whole meal. Well, that's ridiculous. And to me, that it seems to me that that's those topics, those aspects of the program should have been ironed out prior to it being implemented. <laughs> Why is that a thing that our legislators, legislators need to worry about? Yeah. Like somebody in a school can think, huh, all these kids are thrown out the meal. Let's just give them a milk instead. Why do we milk, need an act right. of a Congress to figure that out? Right. Or like, you know, going to a community and saying, you don't need, like, find a private business or, like, Lando Lakes or somebody saying, you know what? How about ponying up, uh, donating a certain amount of milk to to this school? Yeah. I think there'd be plenty of corporate partners who would be willing to do that. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it can't be that hard. But Oh, it's that hard. Uh, it's that hard. Uh, by the way, I forgot to mention your Linda's mm-hmm. Construction time check is 9.55. Uh, time to invest in Infinity for Marvin Windows. Right now, get 50% off installation labor on Infinity for Marvin Windows. Uh, kind of putting the show together on the fly, we just made contact with Steve Gibbs, who is the principal of Cambridge Isanti High School. That is where uh, Burnsville police officer Paul Elmstrand went to high school, graduated in 2015. And Steve knew Paul. Obviously, Paul, one of the uh, Burnsville police officers, shot and killed early Sunday morning. So Steve uh, has agreed to come on and talk about uh, Paul Elmstrand, the impact he had at Cambridge Isanti High School, and just find out more about 
the kind of guy that Paul Elmstrand uh, was, who sadly now we are mourning his death as well as two others, including a firefighter paramedic. And when we think about first responders in danger, I think most of us think about you know police officers, obviously, and firefighters who go into burning buildings. I don't think a lot of people think about the dangers that just regular EMTs face when they show up on a scene. But that tragically put to the forefront on Sunday morning as that uh, firefighter uh, suffered uh, fatal gunshot wounds and was one of the three killed. So we're uh, coming up next hour, we're going to talk to Dylan Ferguson. He's executive director of the Emergency Medical Services Regulatory Board about those dangers and now how they're highlighted and whether or not that impacts whether or not we can find good people to uh, fill those roles. So that conversation coming up as well. Also, it's Tuesday. We'll do our random review. Uh, we'll fire up the RRG. Now, here's the question. Do we tell Jordana she has to watch? Do we give her homework? Yes. Even though she's, I guess, uh, still on her quote-unquote weekend. Yeah, but she's either going to be traveling where she can watch, watch in the airport or airplane, or she's going to be home recovering and yeah. she can watch. I think for sure. Okay. So she'll be part of that, too. We'll pick our show. Uh, but uh, Quick Takes is coming up next after the news. DJ, what do you have? Well, you up? couldn't be bothered to attend, but it was a historic night at the XL. I couldn't Center. be bothered to get Afternoon a ticket. Nobody yesterday. gave me a ticket. You didn't want to come. Uh, also, Starbucks turning heads with a new savory drink. Oh. That's coming up next in Quick Takes. Chocolate milk? Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.